Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with poet, archivist, historian, educator, and community activist Vincent Tomio. He was nominated twice for Pushcart Prize for his poetic prowess and has spent his life being a quality educator in the New York City educational system. Over the years, he has published in publications like the New York Times, Evening Street Review, and many other outfits. Overall, he has 1,064 published poems and essays and is the winner of 180 awards and counting. He's got quite a story of travel and adventure. Enjoy this interview. It's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out to the show today. Well, thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to uh, share my uh, work and uh, to, uh, especially during these hard times, uh, I have written, um, well, two books. My my most recent book is The Usefulness of Hippopotamus. A humorous chapbook for trying times, and I wrote that because I felt that humor is the best form of medicine. I was dealing with cancer, and I didn't want to get negative, and the treatment was worse than the disease. So I sat down and I said, "Oh my goodness, uh, I got to go through this. What do I do?" So I said, "Let me think of something that's going to make me laugh," and I thought of Fantasia and the hippopotamus in the. Uh, ballet uh, skirt or tutu, whatever you call it, and slippers and dancing, and it was funny to me. I started laughing, and so I wrote a poem about a hippo, and that evolved into a book, The Usefulness of Hippopotamus, a humorous chapbook for trying times, and if I could help anyone get through uh, hard times in this way, it would be most gratifying to me. Um, I'd just like to read one poem, if I may. Okay, charging a cell phone. My son visited me in the hospital. The whole time he was on his cell phone. I was on life support, struggling to breathe, survive. His phone was losing its charge. So he pulled the plug to charge his cell phone. Tomorrow, there will be a virtual funeral. I love that. (laughs) That's great, man. So I want to kind of peel back the layers of how we got to today. So I want to begin with living through a pandemic. How did you survive the last three and a half years, and how did it change you? Well, cancer changes everything. Uh, So I'll talk about the cancer. I'll also talk about the pandemic. Um, I did not want to be cooped up. So I would go every day, get in my car, drive to uh, a cemetery, which is really a garden, and walk there take off my mask and, you know, you know, find solace and peace and uh, get in touch with nature. And by the way, the dead aren't going to kill you. So I did this uh, every day. I still do it. You know, it's like I, I walk through the cemetery three and a half miles every day um, because I live in uh, Flushing, Queens, which is densely populated. You really can't uh, walk. There's no place to really walk or exercise. So I find the cemetery is very peaceful, and uh, I I could walk the whole cemetery, which I do every day, uh, unless, of course, it's raining very hard. Uh, Yes, and I find peace and solace, and, you know, there's birds, and there's even two fox uh, in the cemetery. Um, So I bring food, whatever food that's left over I don't throw away, I bring it to the cemetery, leave it in a certain spot. And I've seen the fox a few times. Uh, He popped out and... Uh, you know, and now sometimes when I'm walking, he'll walk parallel to me. Um, I guess he realizes I feed him. 
So uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, any questions you have to ask me, just ask. That's, that was my beginning point, wanting to know how you got through the pandemic, and then I want to get into exactly what you do for a living. So if I put you in front of a bunch of third graders, it's career day, and one of the kids asks you, what do you do for a living, how would you answer them? I would say I am a teacher, and teaching has given me purpose, and I'm here to transfer knowledge to you. I'm not your friend. I am your teacher and your guardian. You want to be in the third grade. What was your dream to grow up and become? Uh, when I was in the third grade, I always wanted to be a teacher. Why? Because teachers were good to me, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I was always interested in learning, and and so now I love to transfer knowledge, and I learn also from students. It's because uh, they're a microcosm of the society surrounding us, so I learn from them. They learn from me, and it keeps me forever young. <laughs> uh, so now let's. No, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, you want to know my background? You want to know how I got into writing my book? You want to know whatever you want to know? I have yeah, one thousand. No, 000... no. Oh, go ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I was. I, that's that's kind of what I'm doing here. I'm trying to kind of go down the list here, of kind of okay. get into the essence. And I I just didn't want to step on what you were saying. So yeah, I was going to the next question. Um, go ahead. So talk to me a little bit about where you were born and raised and how these seeds of wanting to be a teacher got into you? How did all of this take root and become you today? I was born in Corona, Queens, which is a, a very ethnically diverse community. In fact, I didn't live too far from Louis Armstrong. And as a kid, near Our Lady of Sorrows Church, 35th Avenue, sometimes I'd, I'd hear him and see him on his uh, patio near his home playing his uh, horn. Um, and the 4th of July, we, we'd always have a big celebration. It was, just, uh, it was really great. So it was really a wonderful community to grow up in. It was a working class community, but nevertheless, we had that sense of camaraderie and you knew your neighbors and that could be good and that could be bad because <laughs> they'd, they'd tell your parents if you did something naughty kind of thing. But uh, it was it was a great place to grow up. And as I reflect back, um, I say, well, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate to have a a wonderful uh, childhood. You know, we play street games and uh, you know, ring the Larry cork, 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 and all sorts of uh, stick ball and uh, uh, baseball and you name it. Oh, and it was right by Flushing Meadow Corona Park. We'd go bicycling, and uh, it was a great place to to grow up. Yes, wonderful. So. Talk to me about who was the hero for you growing up. Um, I have a couple. My mother, uh, a single parent, raising her boys. Uh, she was um, strong, and she had a wonderful personality. And she liked to write letters. She was a great letter writer. Uh, she had a wonderful personality and very strong-willed. So... Uh, I would say my mother. I also liked President John F. Kennedy. I, uh, he was very positive and a visionary, and uh, he, I, I really think he really loved this country. And he was young and futuristic and, and all those qualities which, which we don't have today <laughs> uh, in our leadership. So, yeah, I, yeah. I would say Kennedy, 
obviously Lincoln, uh, my mom, uh, my older brother, who was very kind to me, would take me to places. And I didn't realize it then. I realize it now that he's dead. And if he were alive and I had the opportunity, I would hug him and say thank you. You know, one of the most profound JFK stories came from my dad. He was born in Brooklyn, raised in Long Island. He was in uh, Massapequa, and uh, when he was uh, in his late teens, he had a job as a uh, he was uh, on a truck driver or a, a trash truck route. And um, th- there was a guy that he worked with, and he was an African American fella, and he was a, he was a serious guy. Um, and at one point, the day that that happened in '63. He didn't know what was going on, and he saw him on a curb down the way just sitting there crying. And he came up, and he was like, what the hell is the matter with you? And he just looked up at him, and he said, the only hope we had is gone. Mm. Yeah. And I'll never forget that, just the, the power of that um, and just how it rippled through. And it still does to this day. And of all of the things that we know about mysteries that have happened, that's the only thing that we don't have a definitive answer for. One thing about JFK was that he was a visionary and he looked to the future and he was very positive and he loved our country and he wanted to make it better. And he was so, he was articulate. He was a lot of things, which we don't have today in our leadership. And um, so I looked to Kennedy. He was one of my heroes. And of course, my mother, my brother, uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, there are so many, and I've had a couple of friends that were the very uh, positive-thinking people that helped me. Uh, I can't, you know, my friend Fran Rieberman and, and, and Florence Levine, and uh, they were very positive people and strong, and um, and they're still friends of mine, you know, after 50 years, so I'm very fortunate. Yeah. I'm curious, as a poet, who's been... Who's the favorite poet of yours or favorite poet? Oh, that's so hard. That's like a necklace of precious pearls. How do you, how do you say one from the other? I would say Emily Dickinson, uh, John Donne, Alexander Pope, uh, Robert Frost. I could go on and on and on. Uh, yeah. But uh, I love John Donne, you know, uh, the metaphysical poetry, uh, you know, Mark Buttersley, how little... Thou denies me is it suck at me first and now suck at thee and in our blood one uh, you know blah 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 uh, so I love Don I, I I you know yeah it's hard to say because as I said uh, it's uh, like a necklace of precious pearls how do you say one is better than the other uh, yeah I dig it yeah so if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them who would you love to meet and talk to oh that's a good question um. From history, from the past, or you know, um, we could we could I, open up the door to the ghosts. Yeah, whoever whoever, yeah, you would love to meet. Okay, I, I would have uh, a couple people over for dinner. I would have uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, George Washington, uh, my grandfather who fought in World War One, uh, who I never really met. Oh, let's see. Uh, in history. Uh, hmm, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> that's good. No, that, that's a good answer. That's a good collection of people, for sure. 
Um, you know, especially with cancer, you know, going through that process has to really kind of rattle rattle the cage a little bit. But I'm curious, every day that you wake up, what is your motivation? What makes you who you are to evolve and to be who you are every day? Well, cancer changes everything, but it does something. It makes you want to really appreciate life and take advantage of those things that you uh, didn't even notice before. Uh, for example, I could enjoy the rain, uh, walking through the rain. Uh, to me, cancer uh, is a is a wake up call that uh, you know we life is uh, sometimes ephemeral and learn and take from it as much as you can and uh, don't be petty and don't let people rent space in your head and get away from pe people that are negative and mean uh, socially distance yourself from them and that's my advice yeah so what's the best advice you've ever gotten uh couple of things. The best advice I got when I was in the, I think, sixth grade or something. I was kind of a rambunctious kind of kid. And the teacher said to me, um, you're a smart young man, but you have to uh, focus. and uh, Otherwise, you'll never get out of this hole in poverty where you live. Because we lived in, a, you know, in Corona, which was a working-class neighborhood in a basement uh, below the level of the of the street, and when it rained hard, got flooded, and uh, it, mom was a single parent, and uh, yeah, I never knew my father. Having come back from World War Two, he just couldn't deal with anything, and he cut out. But anyway, um, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of lost, but uh, it gave me strength, and yeah. I I could identify with other people who uh, struggle. Uh, yeah. So I I, I yeah. kind of know what that's like. Yeah. So let me ask you this: as a writer, what was the first book that you ever read that really opened up the doors to you? That made you either want to write yourself or to read more? That's interesting. Um, there was a book called Melody of the Earth, an anthology of ecology poems. It was published 100 years ago. And it was my mother's. And I found it one day after she had passed. And I sat down and I read it. And it was just wonderful. It was just, it took me on a vicarious trip somewhere between my heart and my brain. And um, so, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's a special book. I put it on the side, and every once in a while, I'll pick it up, and I'll read a couple of poems, and, uh, you know, that, that's for me, you know. But I love history. I, I you know, I, I, I love history. I, I uh, yeah, so that's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 that was a great answer. So... You know, the one thing that's very special about poetry is, is that there's this economy of thought. There's there's a special mm -hmm. there's a, there, there's a special way about it that's always swayed us as humans. What is it for you? What is the real love and allure of the poetry craft for you? Well, 
I like I like to read, but sometimes I don't have the time to read a large novel. Or I, I just read some time ago read a large novel on Lincoln. It was like five hundred pages. But um, so but I find that with poetry, I could pick it up, read a poem or two, put it down, come back to it whenever time I want. Uh, and it's that simplicity of style, but at the same time, uh, the economy of words that really say so much. Um, and I'd like to read you one poem that I wrote regarding my cancer, if Please I do. may. Please do. So, all right. So, you had a bad day. I listened to people complaining about such mundane things. Cancer changed everything. Things I never noticed before taking on new importance. The rain is such a joy. Luckily, they don't know. Perhaps it is better that way. As a cool breeze fans the heat of the day, I learned a new lesson today. Wonderful. I love that. You know, I, uh, I have a jazz radio show here in town, and there is uh, one of my favorite people ever here in Kansas City. Her name is Molly Hammer, and she unfortunately mm. passed in 2020, but mm. she battled cancer for quite a while, mm. and mm. it went away, you know, went to remission, and then came back. Right. And I remember I right. interviewed her about two or three times, and after the first, the first time I interviewed her, I asked her, what did cancer do for you? What ultimately happened? And she said, I went from saying no to things to saying yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes was the key. And I, I will never forget that of all of the stories of, of what cancer does to the human mind. She had such a re and she started traveling. She actually went to Europe and went to places that she never went before. And she just opened up the door in a way that was different. That's what I did. I went to Africa on a safari. When I oh, had wow. heard I had cancer, I said, okay, I'm going to do all those things I want to do. And I kept putting off all my life. And it was wonderful to uh, to go on the safari to see the animals in their natural habitat, which, God help us, may not live, uh, may not exist for long if man keeps uh, polluting the earth and killing and poaching and all of that but it was such a wonderful experience and I'm something I, I I'm so glad I did um so that was and then of course uh there's always Paris <laughs> and yeah so I visited sure. Paris a few times uh in fact one time <laughs> I was at school and it was Friday and I don't know I booked the, I called I booked the flight to Paris I flew to Paris and I went uh, to the Louvre. There was an exhibit by an artist by the name of Chedichev and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to see it. So I flew into Paris. So this was Friday, right? And I came back Sunday. And then I went to school Monday. And someone said, what did you do over the weekend? And one of the teachers, I said, I went to Paris. And they said, you're full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. You know, I actually flew to Paris on the 4th of September 2001 and was in mm -hmm. the back of a water taxi on the morning of 9-11-01 oh, in Venice. Yeah. And, oh, and you know, the, the thing that was the most magical, there's a lot of magical things about Paris, but I yes. remember I was in a museum and I went up to a top floor and I walked around and looked out over the landscape of Paris and it totally freaked me out. It was so dense. It was beautiful. It was It, it was like all the memories and rumors and suppositions I'd heard about this fabled town 
just came at me in a flood when I looked at it at an aerial perspective. It was really cool. Well, it was, I think, 2019 before the pandemic. Yeah, I think it was 2019. Uh, I was in the Jules Verne restaurant on the second floor of the Eiffel Tower on uh, New Year's Eve. When oh, wow. At 12 o'clock, it all lit, it lit up. I mean, it lit up like a, uh, a sparkler. It was just absolutely, and it sparkled. And then at 12 o'clock, they played the Champs-Élysées. And everybody stood up, and I just started crying. It just yeah. hurt me. It was, yeah, it was one of those moments uh, that uh, I'm very fortunate because a lot of people don't have that experience. And it's interesting, when I grew up in Corona, I never thought, I would have much of anything. And the teacher said to me, if you want to get out of this rut, you get an education. And she was right. I did. And I became a teacher. Yeah. And, and being a New York City teacher was wonderful because you have great benefits. You have the UFT is wonderful. You, you, you know, so I, I can't complain. So You know, I'm, I, my day job is as an IT technician for a school district here in Kansas mm -hmm. City. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing. The retirement plan is, is quite robust. You know, it, it's funny you're talking about that story being in the Eiffel Tower. I remember the first time I went to Europe, I went to Italy. All my relatives were from there. And I was in Rome, and, and I was in the Vatican just walking around, and it was just unreal. And I'd walked mm -hmm. so much, my knees just killed me. So mm. I found a little place that had a show, a Vivaldi uh, show, a concerto, and an mm -hmm. opera singer. My dad was always a big opera guy. Like he loved Pavarotti, mm -hmm. and that was when his heart soared when he heard the opera. And I remember mm -hmm. going in there. I was exhausted. I was alone. I'm in this homeland my ancestors came from. And when that woman started singing, I, I started crying too. It was like it was just that emotional valve that came out. It's like wow, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's moments like that. That th those are the ones you want in life. When I when I went to Rome. Oh, and I went to the Vatican and St. Peter's, right, Basilica? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I went to the yeah. top, to the dome, and I walked along the dome all around with all the statues of all the different, I guess, uh, icons of saints, I guess. <clears throat> and it was incredible because it's a yeah. wonderful view. You see the view. Uh, I don't know if you're able to do that. And I saw the Pieta, and, and they... You know, at that time, you were able to almost go up to it, and it was just absolutely remarkable. It was just absolutely stunning, and I just, oh, wow, this this man, this, you know, he's he was a genius. Even the, uh, the hairs on the fingers uh, and the lines and the hands were, you know, uh, that's what pronounced, uh, and it was just, you know, every little intricate detail that it was just, just perfect. And I said, wow, how could someone do something like this? You know, they create from a piece of stone a, uh, you know, this wonderful sculpture. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, when you write, you start with a blank piece of paper and you never know where you're going to go. Yeah. So I, I guess that's what that is. But the, that sculpture was, whew. But there were so many things about Italy that just, and, and Italy is so diverse in any, any area you go. I had a wonderful experience in Calabria. Uh, I, I was in Calabria and this Mr. Parisi, he says to me, uh, go to the top of the 
you know, the dome, you know, the, to see the sunset. It's marvelous. I went up, and it was really fabulous. So it's up there like an hour, two hours, and I wrote a poem. So I come down, Mr. Police, he says, where were you, Mr. Tommy? My wife will cook a spaghetti, blah, 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 and it's a moshada, right? So he's, I said, listen, I was writing a poem. You told me to go up there and watch. So he says, read it to me. So I read it to him. So he says, read it again. He read it, he said, read it again. And he says, to me, I'm going to have that sculpt in the marble. And I said, yeah, right, to myself. I came back four months later. I get a text, you know, from Mr. Parisi and an engineer and blah, blah, blah. To make the long story short, they, they uh, sculpted my poem in marble, and I was invited back for the dedication. Wow. So my poem is in Sicily, uh, in Calabria. And, uh, yeah, so that was one of the wow. most unique experiences I had. And the Calabrian people were so wonderful. It was, it was incredible. They treated me like a rock star. And it was funny. I lived in Corona, Queens, and it was a mixed neighborhood, African-American, uh, Hispanic, Italian, Irish, German, blah, 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 all of that. And I had some neighbors. Uh, now, remember, uh, they, this guy, he used to wash his truck and whatever he was. I think he was a delivery guy. And he used to sing a song. But somehow, you know, I was a kid, it just stuck in my head. So here I am in Calabria. And I said, well, I know a song. And they said to me, well, sing it, Mr. Parisi says, his wife, right? Because I, I don't speak Italian. So, uh, so I sing the song. And it goes on. Okay, so I sing the song. And what it is, it's a song about a guy who has a gumarela, a sidekick, you know, girlfriend, and she's married and all that stuff. But it's it's a fun uh, song. It's a folk song. It's Calabrian. So Mr. Pretty says to me, I love it. He says, okay. So the next day when they have the dedication, of my poem and calls me to the stage. He says, Mr. Tomio, sing the poem. Uh, sing that song. I said, oh, Mr. Parisi, I can't sing. I don't know how to sing. He says, yes, yeah, so you know how to sing. Sing. I said, well, you know what? This guy went through all this uh, money and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I'll dance if he wants. So I sang the song. Everybody stood up. They all started singing. It was like a rock festival. <laughs> Wow. So that was a great experience. I've had many. I'm very fortunate. So, yeah. So so when you look back on your life, what are you the proudest of? Everything you've done and seen and overcome and become, what are you, what are you the proudest of? What am I the proudest of? <sighs> hmm. That's interesting. Uh, well, I, I have 1,145 pieces of literature published in anthologies and magazines and newspapers I'm proud of that, uh, and I'm proud of being a teacher. That I, I it gave me purpose, and I like to believe, and I do believe, because some of my former students keep in touch with me, that I had uh, an impact on them, and I know I did. So that's very gratifying to me. Um, uh, yes, so I think that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this: Speaking of high school, at that age, if you had a dream tonight, you ran into the eighteen-year-old version of yourself. 
And you can mm-hmm. give that young version of you a piece of advice based on the life you've led and the wisdom you've gained. What advice would you give your younger self? Well, <clears throat> you know, when I was 13, I was out shoe shining to help my mother support, help my mom. Uh, so I worked hard all my life. Uh, but I think education is the most important thing. Nobody could steal that from you. You are uh, what, the captain of your soul. You are the, uh, I'm trying to think from the line from Invectus. Uh, I am the captain of the soul. I am the captain of my soul. Uh, the master of my faith. Uh, and that's what I am. In education, nobody could steal that and take that away from me. So I was, at 18 years old, I realized that education was very important. I, uh, I worked hard and I'm not sorry. I did because it really paid off in the end. So I would tell any 18-year-old, uh, 18 is a funny age because you're into so many things. It's like a kaleidoscope of life. You know, uh, I was 17, I went to France. And uh, I went as a boy and I came back as a man. So, <laughs> so by 18, you go through a kaleidoscope of so many, many things. <clears throat> and it's hard to think for the future. But I think my experience growing up very poor uh, and learning from a teacher who said to me, if you want a better life, you have to get an education so you could lift yourself up from from where you are. And it worked. So as somebody that obviously is well-traveled and curious about history and, and, and events, if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and witness one event in human history, with your own eyes, what would you love to have been at to see? Um, well, there's so many things that are... Uh, the liberation of Paris. Yeah. 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 So let me ask you this. Yes. Every, everyone has a perception of you. Family, friends, um, your students, everyone mm-hmm. that you've known, your readers... But you ultimately, you're, you're in control of things. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, I am me. <laughs> a no-nonsense guy uh, who loves life, who has a good sense of humor. And uh, I, don't, I don't let people rent space in my head. I don't care if you like me or dislike me. But you have your rights as long as you don't, uh, you know, hurt me or... You know, you're negative, too negative. That I, I, I you know, I just, uh, I, I walk away from that. So I'm not into confrontation. So. I dig it, Vincent. This has been wonderful, man. Hey, if anyone wants to get involved with your writing, they want to get your books, reach out to you. Anything about your world? Where's the best place to go? I would say first go to my blog, and my blog is. Vincent, V-I-N-C-E-N-T-J, Tomeo, T-O-M-E-O, dot com, all lowercase, V's lowercase, J's lowercase, T's lowercase, and that'll introduce you to uh, my, me, and, and you'll even hear me uh, read a poem, and you'll see uh, a little, uh, you'll read a biography, but I would also suggest that you go to um, 
Amazon. You can look at, uh, check out my book, My Cemetery Friends, A Garden of Encounters at Mount St. Mary's in Queens, New York, and uh, The Usefulness of Hippopotamus, a humorous chapbook for trying times. Both of them celebrate uh, different things. My Cemetery Friends is a celebration of life. It has nothing to do with death. So the cemetery is a garden. And it's about the people that I met walking through the garden. So where I found solace and peace and all of that, especially during the pandemic. And and the usefulness of hippopotamus is my uh, way of dealing with cancer, my way of dealing with the pandemic, to use humor as the as a form of medicine. And that's what it did. And it has helped it has helped me and I hope it could help other people. It is the best medicine. Vincent, this has been wonderful, sir. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. Have a great twenty twenty four. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Music